Well, if you come back tonight, you can see the other video. <laughs> that is the one for tonight's service. But I want you to think, uh, that was Jen Wilkin from the Gospel Coalition. I want you to think about what she just said about the companionship of our emotions and our Bible study. If you're visiting with us this morning, and I know our people probably uh, hear this almost every week, but I always want to be sensitive to those who are here for the very first time, who uh, give you a little background of where we're at as a church. We're in a year-long study of what it means to be a disciple. So we are looking at the question, we are looking at the question, what is a disciple? We use that term a lot, and so we're looking at it in depth. And what this series has really been is kind of a series of mini-series within the larger series. For example, during the month, uh, the months of June and July, we spent uh, numerous sermons looking at what it means to abide in Christ. If we are to be disciples, we have to abide in Christ, have that intimate fellowship and communion with him. Now we're doing a series of messages on a disciple's emotions. And I started last week, and I shared with you that God created us, all of us, every single person in this room. We are emotional beings. God has created us that way. We have deep-seated emotions in us. And what God wants from his children is he wants us to be Christ-exalting and God-honoring emotional believers. He wants us to be Holy Spirit-filled emotional believers. Folks, there is nothing worse than lifeless Christianity. When there's no passion, when there is no zeal, when there is no excitement in your Christian life, you're acting as if you don't have life at all. We ought to be some of the most passionate people on the face of the earth. And last week we looked at the fact in introducing this subject that we are to hunger and thirst for God himself. We are to be like a starving, dehydrated person, man or woman, just longing, longing after God. We are to hunger, we are to thirst for him. And I shared with us that we are emotional beings with emotional needs that can only be satisfied by our creator and savior. There are needs, emotional needs in each of your lives that no person and no thing can satisfy. Only God himself can bring satisfaction in those areas of your life. And so this morning, we are going to look at desire and discipline. I have called these the Siamese twins of the Christian life. And I say Siamese twins because biblically, they are supposed to be inseparable. They are never to be separated from each other. They are, we could call them the two pillars, the two foundations that must always be there. And if they aren't, your 
Christian life will be out of balance and you will potentially do great harm to your own Christian life and witness. But I want to start this morning with a foundational thought that will lead us in to considering desire and discipline. And I'm going to do something a little different. Normally, I am preaching from a particular text and doing an expositional study of a particular text. This will be slightly different this morning. It's more of a systematic study of desire and discipline. So there will be a number of passages of Scripture on the screen. And we'll be looking at a lot of Scripture. And some of it I will just be referring to because there was too much to to put uh, in the notes. And so if you see your bulletin sermon notes, those, excuse me, those scripture references will be on the screen. And then if you want to jot down some of the other references to scripture that I make, you are certainly welcome uh, to do that. So our first point, our first foundational point is the Bible's power. The Bible, the Word of God, is the most powerful book in the universe. Now, I just want you to think about that. There is no other book that can be compared to the power and authority of the Bible. And the question is, do I believe that? Do I believe that? There have been some great novels written throughout history. Some great pieces of literature that have stood the test of time. There have been some great works of history. But there is no book in all of the universe that can compare with the Bible. Folks, the Bible is alive. It is a living book. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12 it says this, The word of God is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I want you to notice that first sentence very carefully. The Word of God is living and active. It penetrates to the deepest part, the deepest, deepest parts of our being. Folks, the Bible, when you read it and study and meditate on it and memorize it, will penetrate to your deepest thoughts and attitudes. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, one of the key passages in the entire Bible on the inspiration of Scripture, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Two things here that I find amazing. Number one, all Scripture is God-breathed. I don't care what other people say. These are not the words of men. They may have been the instrument that penned those words, but every, every word of Scripture from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation is breathed out by God. It is a God-breathed, God-inspired book. And notice that it is useful so that the man of God, so that the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Bible can equip you for every good work that you could possibly do. 
Jesus said in Matthew 25, excuse me, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You cannot say that about any other book in the universe. However, however, until you are convinced that the Bible is the most powerful book in the universe, you will not be motivated to consistently read and study and live out its teachings. If you are not convinced that this is the most powerful book in the universe, it will sit on your coffee table or shelf at home until Sunday comes. This grasping of the power of the word of God will motivate you to dig deeply into its many passages. The time you invest studying the Bible is never a waste of time. Never. If you spend an hour reading the Bible, you cannot say, I just wasted an hour. It is always worth it. And the Bible is doing a work in your life more than you will ever understand. There may be times when it doesn't feel like it, but it doesn't matter if you feel like it. When you are reading scripture, it is doing more than you will ever understand or realize. Now, with that foundation in place, I'm going to move forward this morning with the assumption that I can say among this group of people that the Bible is the most powerful book in the universe. And that brings us to our second point, and that is the Siamese Twins. If we are to devote ourselves to the study of God's word, we must have both desire and discipline. We must have them walking side by side in our lives. If you have desire without discipline, you will become a misguided zealot who mishandles the Bible and potentially just fizzles out. If all you are is emotions, you're going to have a hard time sustaining it. In Proverbs 19.12, it says this, It is not good to have zeal without knowledge, nor to be hasty and miss the way. It is not good to have zeal without knowledge. You may be all excited about God, but if your understanding of God is not based on scripture, you will be chasing after a God of your own imagination, of your own fantasy. Folks, sometimes I will hear Christians say things about God, about angels, about demons, about who's in heaven and who's not in heaven, and I just cringe. Because I'm thinking in my mind, that has nothing to do with the Bible. That's not found in the Bible anywhere. They read somebody's book. They just thought, God must be this way. If you have desire without disciplined Bible study, you will become very susceptible to false teachers and false teaching. Let me say that again. If you, all you have is emotion, Without disciplined Bible study, you will become a key target for false teachers and false teaching.
Let me give you a relevant example, one that I brought up with great sensitivity just a few months ago and addressed this issue with our whole congregation. I shared with you that the book and movie, The Shack, have been extremely popular. The book was very popular. The movie that recently came out has been very popular. Many Christians have and are reading the book. Many Christians have gone to see the movie and really like it. But I said to you that we cannot endorse it nor promote it as a church because much of what is in the shack is simply unbiblical and untrue. And we made available two scholarly critiques of the book and the movie, one by Tim Challies and the other by Al Mohler. And it was interesting. The feedback that I received in the subsequent weeks was really interesting. Many of you came up and talked to me about it. But here is the most prevalent comment I heard from you. Why are so many Christians falling for this? Why are so many Christians buying into this? You know what happens? Maybe they're touched by the book, touched by the movie in some way. Maybe it speaks to them in some way but they don't have enough biblical knowledge to evaluate the content, and so they fall for it. It is a completely inaccurate and unbiblical understanding of the Trinity. It is. And folks, that's what happens. If you're all excited about God, but it's not the God explained and revealed in the Bible, you're going to go astray. And eventually, I think you're going to just burn out. However, if you have discipline without desire, you will have cold-hearted Bible knowledge. You will have Bible knowledge with no passion, with no love, no zeal. You know what you'll be like? You'll be just like the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the premier example of disciplined study of the law without any passion, love, or mercy. You'll be filled with knowledge, but far from an intimate walk with the Lord. In Matthew 15, 8, Jesus said this about the Jewish people of his time. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That ought to scare all of us. It ought to. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I'm going to guess almost everybody in this room knows a Christian who has lots of Bible knowledge. You wouldn't even want to compete against them in Bible trivia. They just know all these facts about the Bible, but they're obnoxious, they're unfriendly, you don't even like being around them. And you're thinking, where's the disconnect? Where's the disconnect? They, know all, they have all this information about the Bible, but they're nothing like Christ. And that's what happens when you have discipline 
without zeal. And let me say this this morning. If you grow up in a conservative Baptist church or a conservative Presbyterian church or a conservative Reformed church, you're going to get some good Bible teaching. These kinds of denominations are known for their scholarly Bible study. A lot of commentaries and a lot of the best in-depth Bible teachers still in the world today come from those denominations. They do. We have historically placed a high, high honor to the authority of Scripture. We can preach till the sun goes down about the authority, the inerrancy, the accuracy of Scripture, and praise God for that. But folks, we need to be very careful that we don't become lifeless, passionless, emotionless Christians. We have to work hard to take that Bible study and let it drive us to be passionate, zealous people of God who hunger and thirst for our Savior. Well, let's look at this, each one, in a little more depth. First, desire. I would define desire this way. Desire is an intense passion to know God and to know his word. When you study the Bible, you don't just sit down to an academic book. You come to meet with God. You come to know God. I shared with you last Sunday morning maybe the classic passage in all of the Bible on desire, on emotion. And it's Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's it. That's desire. My soul thirsts for God. And so when I sit down to study the Bible, when my small group meets together, when I am doing those word studies or doing that in-depth study of Scripture, I have as my highest goal, when can I go and meet with God? I want to meet with the living God in the pages of His Word. One of my favorite passages on desire is Proverbs chapter 2. It's a long section. I'm just going to read one small part of it. I love it. I love it. You ought to memorize this for your own pursuit of God and his word. Proverbs 2, 3, and 6, 3 through 6 says this, If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There's one key word in that text that I really want you to hone in on, and it is the word then. If you cry out for insight, if you, or if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. 
1848, in our country, it started what came to be known as the Great Gold Rush as people made their way out to what is now the state of California. In 1849, it actually went from 1848 to 1855, this great pursuit of the gold rush in California. In 1849, so many people went out that they called them, as many of you know, the 49ers. And I was reading that over 300,000 people, this is back in the 1800s, over 300,000 people sold their homes and went to California in search of gold. Literature is filled with stories, both historical and just stories of fiction, of pirates and merchants who have left everything in search for hidden silver and gold for hidden treasure and the famous treasure map and they it's like they give up everything to go look for this hidden treasure if you call out for insight and you cry aloud for understanding if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure then then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Oh, how God wants us to have this passionate, zealous desire to know him and to know his word. In Proverbs 4, 7, it says, Wisdom is supreme, therefore get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get understanding. Though it cost you everything, get wisdom and get understanding. Proverbs 8, 33 through 35. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not ignore it. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the Lord. Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my doors waiting at my doorway the thought is you're waiting at the door of scripture you're waiting you get up in the morning and you're just waiting at the doorway so you can meet with god and his word the foundation let me put it this way the foundation of all bible reading and bible excuse me the foundation of all bible reading and bible study should be the soul thirsting pursuit of god the foundation of all Bible reading and all Bible study should be the, the soul-thirsting pursuit of God. It's kind of like being a tornado chaser. Maybe you've seen that on the Weather Channel or someplace where they go after these tornadoes. Maybe some of you are old enough to remember the 1996 movie Twister with Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt. And they were storm chasers. And they would get in their vehicles and they would hoot and holler as they went out chasing the tornado and getting as close to it as they possibly can to feel the power, to see the majestic power of the tornado without actually being damaged by that. There was a book I read a number of years ago. It was called The God Chasers. The premise of the book was very good. Unfortunately, the author of the book got into some later in the book, some kind of 
sensational examples and some bad theology, and so it's a book I was never really able to recommend, but I loved the premise of the book. He compared our pursuit of God like being a tornado chaser. He said, be a God chaser. Pursue him. Pursue the thrill of knowing God. Pursue the thrill of meeting with him. And that brings us to the other side. Discipline. I would define discipline this way. The determined structuring of my life so that I deliberately set aside time to know God and to know his word. So I got the passion. I've got the zeal. But I need to accompany that with a disciplined, structured study of God's word. In Ezra, chapter 7 and verse 10, it says this, For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. Ezra devoted himself to the study and observance of God's word. We think of the verse that Awana is based on, our Awana Children's Ministry, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth, who correctly handles the scriptures. One of my favorite passages on discipline is 1 Corinthians 9, verses 25 through 27. Because Paul speaks and compares our disciplined study of the Word of God and our Christian life to athletic competition and disciplining ourselves to be competitive athletes, in his case, in the ancient athletic games that he was or he observed and knew about. Knew about. It says this, Paul writes, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, no. I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. That's what happens when you have desire without discipline. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No. No, and I beat my body and make it my slave is a synonym, is a synonym for discipline. I discipline myself so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. And discipline. Proverbs 23 23. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Get wisdom, discipline, and understanding. And a verse many of us are familiar with, 2 Timothy 1 7. 
For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. God has given us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Discipline will help you make it through the dry times. There are times when all of us will read the Bible and maybe we don't feel anything. Maybe it seems passionless, but we've still got to get into it because I, I just share with you the, the passion will come with it. If we stick with it, if we keep reading, and we want to desire to know God, that passion and fire will come. You must, you must determine to study the Bible even when you don't feel like it. Those are the Siamese twins. Desire, passion, zeal, hungering and thirsting for God, a soul-thirsting desire to know Him, coupled with structured disciplined study of God's Word. That's why I showed that video at the beginning. I wanted it to just set the stage. She said, yes, we come to the Bible and should approach it with great emotion. It should be an emotional time, but those emotions must, must be grounded in an accurate study of Scripture. We're going to end right now with a song, a particular song that I chose for this sermon. In fact, I want you to see it as part of the sermon because I think it is a song that really has both. It is a song with excellent theology and it is a song that is very passionate about our God. It's called Behold Our God. It's a song that we sing quite often here and I want you to see in this song the passion, the desire, but the accurate, accurate biblical statements that are made as we sing together. Let's pray and then we'll sing. Father, help us. Help us never to separate our desire and our discipline, but to have both. To have both at the same time and all the time. Lord, keep us from being imbalanced. Keep us from being the zealot who is susceptible to false teaching, but at the same time, keep us from being the Pharisee who has no passion or mercy or love. Lord, help us to pursue you with all our hearts and to pursue you accurately according to your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.